Here we go. Blog Talk Radio. doing that, 
um, they would know if someone is uh, treating them in a way that's not proper. They're hanging around them, and they shouldn't be hanging around a child, say, an adult, um, or an older teenager, okay, and saying lewd things, crude things, whatever. Now, prevention is something that parents need to sit down and, and really talk to their children about. And then intervention is how you speak to your child to teach them about prevention. And also, too, if you're a neighbor, all right, and you think that your child um, or, the, or someone else's child is uh, not being treated properly, or maybe you know of something going on in the house, um, there's a way to speak to the child so that you don't scare them off, all right? And then you have recovery. Recovery is uh, like from adults, from childhood, sexual abuse, physical, mental, emotional, just as I just read, um, and neglect. Um, We need to recover so we can move on with our lives. Very important. And not get stuck, you know, in the past. Because if you get stuck in the past, you can't then live the, the present or the future. So there's a lot of things when you talk about prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now, on the NASCA website, and that's N-A-A-S-C-A dot org, that's NASCA dot org, um, what we have, what we have um, on the website are red blocks, as I like to call them, and in each one of those blocks uh, is a different topic. Now, if you want to learn about prevention, and how to speak to your children, you go over to the right-hand side of those red blocks that go across the screen, and I think it's either the last one or the one before. You click on to that, and a menu drops down, and the first one will be prevention. That's what you want. You click on to that, you, and that will open up all kinds of information. So you're not just teaching your child, um, you know, to cross the street, all right, all right, that, that's, that's old, okay? We, we don't live in a safe world, so therefore we have to teach our children how to be safe. And I think that's a part of parenting. So I won't go on any more than that because we do have a topic. But I just want people to realize, especially today, how important prevention is, okay, to teach your children, you know, what signs to look out for, all right? And if you know of someone down the street who is abusing their child, you can always call for help, all right? Report it. If you see something, say something. It's as simple as that. In some states, actually in many states now, if a child gets abused and and, uh, the neighbors know about it, the neighbors get into trouble too. And maybe that's the way it should be, okay? Because um, the child needs a hero, Okay, so we as the adults, we have to be the hero. And then maybe we can help more children. And maybe there will be less fatalities and less children going to the emergency room with head trauma. Okay, if it's a physical thing. And a lot of times physical and sexual with one child, it can happen. Okay, so enough of that. Um, Tonight, what I want to talk about here is the four red flags in a relationship. Because so often what happens, um, especially we the survivors, we don't know. I'm one of them. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know how to pick a good guy. (laughs) I really don't. 
I always, uh, I sort of like uh, pick guys that are rough and tough and, and tumbly and all this other stuff. And um, because I'm sort of like rough and tough and tumbly, I think. And because of the way that I was brought up, because I wasn't brought up, I had to grow myself up, okay? And a lot of us are like that. You know, I'm not the only one on NASCA who goes through the things that um, all of the, the physical, the sexual, the emotional, the neglect, and, and all the other things that I spoke about. What's right in our mission statement. I'm not the only one. We're all like this. Our stories may be different, but the trauma is the same. And what happens when you have trauma? Many times you have post-traumatic stress disorder. I had someone say to me not too long ago, I hate saying PTSD as a disorder. Why does it turn into a disorder? If you have something that you're having mental issues with or psychological issues without being total mental or whatever it might be, okay, something that um, gets in the way of living your life, like I had terrible panic attacks, to the point where it was a disorder. It would keep me from doing things. Um, I mean, as a child, I started at the age of nine and went to 49. That's a long time. No pill, no magic pill, all right, was going to fix my brain with this panic disorder. And anything that is repetitive, repetitive, a type of uh, disorder such as that and PTSD, um, that is, a, you know, it's considered in even the DSM-5, and you have to have that 5 after that because this is newish, um, that they're looking at post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, not just from those who come back from the service, but also those children who were brought up in a dysfunctional home, where there's a lot of beating going on, maybe sexual abuse or whatever else you want to put with it, um, they're considering that. They, they, you have to have maybe four or five disorders yourself as a child and as an adult for that to be even considered PTSD, but at least they're looking at it and it's been approved as far as I've been told. So they're looking at it now in the right way. Because when children are abused and they have it repetitively so that they have all kinds of disorders, whether it's panic, anxiety, um, maybe they're cutters, maybe they're suicidal, um, one thing leads to another, okay? Um, you bet it's a disorder and, and you need help. And there's no, no um, shame in getting help because the shame has to be put in the right place, and that would be the person who abused you or the people who abused you. That's where the shame belongs. So what we're doing tonight, what we're going to talk a little bit about, and I'm going to go from, from Annie, and, and Lori is here, okay? Oh, by the way, I'm Carol Levine. I'm vice president of, of NASCA. I never say who I am. <laughs> People say, hey, you didn't say who you are. All right, so I just said it. Um, we're going to go over... Um, Something that, again, that we as survivors have a really hard time at and with, and that is the four red flags in a relationship. If your gut tells you there is something wrong in your relationship, listen to it, okay? Don't make excuses. A lot of times I've done this. I've been married twice. I, I talk about it all the time, all right? If if you if your gut is telling you this isn't right, I'm not being treated well, um, you know, there's all kinds of things wrong in the relationship. Uh, the person, all he thinks about is himself or herself, okay? This is both, either or. 
um, and, and they don't consider my feelings, um, then there's a problem with relationship, right? Sometimes relationships can turn very volatile. All right, that's number one of the red flags. Um, and then I'm going to go to the panel here. Um, dishonesty. When we um, habitually lie to our partner, the relationship will lose trust. A partner of lying, or, or a pattern, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> a pattern of lying about matters big or small can also indicate a person is trying to hide something. Okay, I'm going to go to Lori. Lori, can you identify with any of these two things I just spoke about? Uh, definitely, because it's true. It's definitely true. Um, mm-hmm. I I went far as back as I'm one of those people who really try to retrace the how and the why and whatever and what could have been thing. So I'm at that age. So if I actually was able to have a voice way back when and express all the things that I felt uh, to somebody or as from the beginning, even like a neighbor, it didn't matter who, instead of like keeping it inside, I would not be in this dysfunctional place <laughs> that I am right now. I mean, you know why I'm here, but how it led me to here um it left me a mess. So, yes, everything you said is, is right, everything. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I, I can identify with that, too. And then I'm going to um, I'm going to ask Annie if she can you know, identify with this. But um, I found my first husband, especially the, the father of my children, our children, um, you know, to be very dishonest. And uh, that really blew me away because um, he didn't cheat on me. Actually, I don't think either one of them cheated on me, like, for because I wasn't, you know, sexually active or we weren't sexually active. It wasn't a thing like that. There was no respect. They didn't respect me as a person. They didn't respect the type of work that I do, and even to this day, all right? No respect. And that causes, you know... Um, a lot of anxiety in a relationship, and, and, and it causes bad feelings, you know, because your spouse is supposed to back you, all right, with whatever you're doing. If you're working for the community or if you're working, you know, in, in different, um, you know, organizations like I've worked in, you know, all, the, all the ones <laughs> from psych to uh, juvie to all kinds, methadone clinics and, and also detox, Um things like that, if you don't have the backing of your spouse, all right, it makes for a bad time. And and that goes also, too, for me respecting, you know, what my, my spouse had done, both of them. They were both very smart, very brilliant, but they had no respect for me. And that's not a good thing. Let, let me go to, um, to um, uh, Annie. Can you identify with that? Hold on, I'm going to cough again. I don't want to do it in your ear. <coughs> Sorry. Yes, I can, Carol. Absolutely. I I was married twice, and mm-hmm. um, I made the wise choice of marrying firstborn sons in very patriarchal cultures both times. Both of my husbands were firstborn sons, and, you know, their families worshipped them, so I was supposed to also. 
and I was supposed to serve. And um, and there was a lot of dishonesty, and there was a lot of volatility. And not respect me, for sure they didn't respect me. They thought I, I was about, you know, the dishes and the laundry and the cooking and everything else, and then I was supposed to have a job as well, you know. It, it wasn't, it, they weren't good relationships. And now that I know that those are red flags, I will never have a relationship again. <laughs> Isn't that awful? I, I know. And it's so true. And um, well, I, I guess there's two of the red flags. I haven't gotten even into the meat of all of this yet. But already we can. the three of us can identify. One way or another, we can mm-hmm. identify. And we're all survivors, so there you go. Okay. Um, so let me let me go on with this. Um, okay, a pattern of lying about matters, big or small, like I said, can also indicate a person is trying to hide something. Or persistent lying can be used to establish or maintain control in the relationship their way. Everything has to be done their way. And they have lies, and they lie about it. Okay, number three, love bombing. (laughs) Okay, now, look, if you're just going out with a guy, I mean, we're gals here, so I'm going to talk about guys, all right? If you're just going out with a guy, and um, he immediately is, like, all over you, telling you you're wonderful, you're beautiful, um, and, and, you know, acting in such a way, like, uh, and going too far with it, though, so you almost want to barf, okay? He's going too far. He's saying, I love you, before he even knows you. How can he love you if he doesn't even know you? You know what I'm saying? You've gone out for two weeks or something already saying he loves you. Um, that's something you have to watch out for, okay? In fact, it says here even within a few weeks of uh, meeting, that that's not normal behavior. This guy has <clears throat> something in his mind, okay? We don't know what it is. But he's got something in his mind. Um, maybe he's offering over-the-top uh, compliments, like I just said, and you have to be careful for that. There's a, there's a reason for this. Um, giving over-the-top gifts. Now, everyone likes to get gifts. We all do. I'm, I'm a very, very generous person. I'm always giving to people. But I do it because I like them, all right? And, and uh, I don't want anything in return. I just like to give when I can. I can't do it all the time. But giving over-the-top gifts or offering money to help pay bills is nice, but can be used as collateral later on down the line. In other words, they're rubbing it under your nose. See, that's why you can't... If you go into a relationship and the guy is like um, with my first husband, pulling a chair out for me when I sat down, he'd take me to all fancy restaurants in the city. Um, I'm a New York girl, always a New York girl. And do they not have wonderful restaurants in the city, okay? And um, so he would take me to, um, you know, French restaurants, which I loved, and he would pull a chair out for me. He'd open the car door for me. Now, you might think that this, well, that's nice. You might think that that's, you know, kind of like normal behavior. But uh, it goes off in other things. I mean, it's just too, 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 too much, you know, and there's something wrong there. That's not a good relationship. He's giving over-the-top gifts or offering money, and and watch out because they will rub it under your nose at one time or another. They can do this. 
They can do it. All right, if the person is constantly calling you to see where you are, um, that's not good either because what he's doing is tracking you. He's actually tracking you. He's keeping, he wants control. He's keeping um, an eye out to where you're going and uh, who you're talking to you, you know, who's talking to you and who you're talking to. And, um, and it says right here, it can be dangerous. Because what happens is if this person is obsessed with you and is so controlling that he doesn't want you to speak to certain people, he doesn't want you to dress a certain way, um, or he wants you to dress a way that you would never dress yourself, maybe maybe too sexual or whatever. He's got thoughts in his brains, and and they're not good thoughts. And he will trail you, and it says dangerous, and he can become volatile. Because if you don't listen to him, yes, then he can become volatile. So with the controlling behavior, all right, um, this is one thing you have to worry about because it says if you – if he tries to control your relationships uh, with others, even with other people, run. It doesn't say walk away. It says run because that's just the beginning, okay? That's just the beginning. So what happens is we haven't so often brought up in such a way, in such horror stories. Um, we have our own horror stories that we don't understand that when a guy is treating us a certain way that seems to be right is so opposite of what we're used to, pulling the chair out all the time, always, always opening the door, always, you know, telling you you're, you're pretty and I want you and, and all this other stuff. Um, you might think, I died and went to heaven. That's what I thought with my first husband. He looked like a movie star. He acted like a gentleman. He told me I was gorgeous, all this other stuff, bought me things. All the things that we were just talking about, he did. And he turned out to be the meanest SOB that I've ever known in my life. One of them. So then you say to yourself, well, gee, isn't it nice if someone pulls the chair out for you? Isn't it nice if they open up the car door for you? Isn't it nice that they take you to, you know, fancy restaurants and all this other stuff? Of course it is if the person is stable. But if they have, you know, motives where they want to control you and then later on rub under your nose, look what I did for you. I helped pay your bills. Okay? I helped pay your bills. When you were down, I helped pay your bills. I took you to wonderful places. Now, what are you going to do for me? Okay? You see, they have a motive. And then to control your every actions, where you go, who you see, who you talk to, this is all too controlling, and it's, it's not normal. Can you identify with this, Lori? Oh, my God, I live with two of them. Just today, um, my neighbor from across the street uh, finally came over here, and I guess she knew the way out of the house or whatever from what... You know, Ed was telling her whatnot. So she was like going from room to room, following a tour. I guess he laid out. But the entire time that she was here, which was about an hour and a half, maybe two hours, either my son 
or my husband would show up in the middle of us talking, interrupt us, try to, you know, get in with them. It's like they wouldn't leave me alone with her for long. They do that all the time to me. Um, so, oh, my God. I mean, even, like, from the beginning, when you were saying about gift giving, that's my guy, okay? He came off as the nicest person in the world. He was polite. He uses uh mother's side of the family, his values. Um, his uncle was the bishop, so they were really good people. So he knew that side, and that's what he showed me. So um, opening doors, I got flowers, you know, anything. And he would bring me, even from school, he would bring me a bag of popcorn and a lollipop every day after school. Even though I told him to stop doing it, he just kept on and kept on. But it turns out as, you know, crappy as he is, he still does open the door. Um, he'll make sure, like, I'm balanced better to get in or around. Oh, he'll look for me. Like today he came towards the end of our visit, and, and uh, he says, um, Amy, excuse me, but I have to get Maury to go sit down. She can't stand this warm. But it, I knew it was another way of, like, inserting himself. He doesn't give me enough time with people, and then they complain I'm antisocial. I'm like, if you're going to be sociable, I want to be on my own. When this guy came in, it was like he took ownership of all my friends, of my life, of my thoughts, and I've been actually being dubbed into a play in his head, and that's how I've lived my life with him. But, yeah, but at this point, I don't care really what he thinks. I mean, he still buys me cards and all that. I don't buy anything. It's now what I want. I says, you better open the door to the truck. I says, I can't get into it. It's too heavy. It says, there's certain things you're going to have to adjust to me. So I've managed to live with him, but it is just as annoying. I have absolutely no privacy. That's why I had a lock put on this room. So neither one of them come and interrupt me when I'm on the phone. For real. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I think about that with my second husband. Um, I would try to be doing a show like we're doing right now. And um, I don't know, Andy, if you were around yet. I don't know. I don't think so. But no, I don't think so because uh, other people are there. I remember now. But um, he would just come into the office and he would start talking very loudly. Now, I'm doing a show, all right? <laughs> and. Um, saying anything to be disruptive, okay? He couldn't stand that I was doing a show. And he wanted to make me feel uncomfortable. Um, he wanted to get me, um, you know, upset while I'm trying to run a decent show. And I remember one night, um, MJ, who's not with us anymore, she uh, isn't a part of NASCA anymore, um, she has a wonderful job. She's doing well. But uh, anyway, the point is she says, I heard that. And I go, oh, boy. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. You see, they want, they try to humiliate you. Okay? They do that. So they can humiliate you. They can try very hard to control you. You don't have your, um, you're not able to think for yourself. They down any thoughts that you might have. 
They never say, hey, you're doing a good job. All that stuff disappears. All the wonderful things that you had in the beginning, yeah, um, it, it, it all of a sudden disappears. And then you have the jealousy part, okay, which I have right here in front of me. It says, never think, uh, isn't it cute how your boyfriend, you know, gets jealous if you receive a compliment, maybe about the way you look or what you've just done, whatever the case is. Um, Dr. Zand is, I, I know him well through uh, some, a lot of my studies, but he does say, he also states, if you are feeling neglected, hurt, or unloved, communicate with your partner. Try to, okay? But that red flag of the jealousy, watch out, he says, for, because, you see, a man who's very, very jealous, um, instead of feeling proud, say, that his girlfriend, remember, this is supposedly a, a new relationship, um, instead of feeling proud, say, to be with her, instead, he gets jealous if someone, you know, looks at her. And he can take it out on you. All of a sudden, maybe he'll want you to dress, instead of looking pretty, he'll want you to dress maybe dowdy, as they used to say, all right? Um, you know, not so attractive because he doesn't want men looking at you. I went through that. Not with my second husband, but with my first husband. I remember that. Um, he made sure that I had control of nothing in the household. Just like Annie was saying, I was to cook, clean, um, take care of him, all right, um, take care of the children, and that was it. If he thought I had any friends or something, he would he would do something really nasty, and uh, maybe they'd stay away for a while. He didn't want anyone near me. Okay, I remember that. And at times, um, even if if I tried to have a party, um, he would ruin it just by things he'd say or the way he'd behave, which would turn people off. And he would do that on purpose. Now, you see, these people are not normal. This is not normal behavior. And what we're trying to do is with these red flags is to get people to understand, um, especially with the survivors who are used to dysfunction in the home, okay, where people don't behave the right way. Maybe there's a lot of fighting. Maybe there's a lot of yelling. Maybe there's physical abuse. And, and we just end up thinking, well, you know, we don't think it consciously, but in our own behavior, even if we get into a relationship where we think that, um, you know, that you love the person and everything, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And he says, never try to fix a situation where there's probable, you know, probable danger. Instead, get out of it. Walk away. Get out of it. And I ended up having to do that. I divorced my first husband. And I thought I loved him more than anything else in this world. And it was a, a it, it blew me away, okay, to have to leave my first husband because I, I loved him so badly. And, uh, and yet he was a very bad person. And he never paid any attention to his own children. They never felt they had a father. So you see... When you're in relationships like this, that's why it goes all the way back to what we were talking about in the beginning. You know, listen to your gut. 
if you have anything that says, you know, since we're brought up in such uh, turmoil ourselves, sometimes we just simply don't recognize those uh, red flags. But if you can think without people telling you how to think and you can see. Now, Lori, the way you were talking before, yeah, okay, you're starting to see things, so you've already seen it. Um, you came out with a whole bunch of, of uh, reasons why you were angry and, and, uh, and all the things that were controlling, and, and so did you, Annie, according to controlling you. None of this is normal. Yep. None of yeah, it. Yeah, I know I'm with a nut job. I know it. You know, do we know what he did today, Mr. Controller? Well, everybody else. Okay. Um, Whoever doesn't know, I split my head open about a month ago. I left it to some hospital who were very nice people. I mean, I enjoyed the stay except for the staples and all that stuff. And Ed had been over here telling the neighbor who saw the ambulance come in, but it got around this neighborhood. So he started visiting me, like, at the hospital playing all nice and whatnot. And everybody fell for what he was, like, doing. And when that doctor said, you know, you can go, um, the nurse had to give me her phone because they cut off mine. And the nurse heard him yelling at me on the phone and said to me, and she was, like, very, very, like, serious. She was from the Ukraine type thing. She says, don't go home. And she kept telling me, don't go home. And it got to the point where there was a meeting among now all the nurses because of what how he was to me. I mean, he has documented cases. Uh, one was even at a police station on video. So, I mean, he's, he's documented. But these people, no, they're, they're nuts. So, yeah, I mean, anything he does. But today he started preparing my son for my death. He oh, my says, God. Mommy is... Yeah, he told me this this morning. Mommy is, isn't going to be around, I guess, too much longer. Some garbage that's not even true. You know, all I did was break open my head. I didn't have a, uh, any kind of major problem, you know, why I would be there. And I'm thinking to myself, he's still at it. I said, I figured at honestly, 66, he would have given this game up already, but he hasn't. You know, this is why when people, man, if you get anything in your gut that's not right, check out the person's family. Check out how their relationship is with them, uh, how the family interacts with each other. You know, go as far back as if you have to see, like, you know, uh, if you have a questionable guy and you really want to check, you want to know about the kids he hung out with in those early years, you got to find out all this information beforehand. You know, before you get hitched to this person, and it takes time. I mean, you could fall in love with the right person in six months. It's happened, you know, and it had worked out. But more people who do it that way end up not with the guy because his life changes. You become different people. It just happens. It's a normal thing not to. But you're stuck, and while you're stuck, you got all this violent tendencies because you're 24 and 7 around a person you really don't like because you thought you loved or he didn't work out, or whatever the reason that you just can't be with him, you know, it makes you really kind of nuts. So you really definitely have to get into the history of the person um, as far as friends, as far as as he talks to you, how much of it does uh, he want to know. If he starts asking you what are your thoughts, that means he wants to, like, almost absorb you into his personality. That actually is what he does. So you got to really be careful. 
and it, it takes time. The best way to get into a really good relationship is not have a baby before you know the guy that you want to marry. Don't have the baby, then get married. First you get married, and then you plan, and then you have your kids. That's the best way to do it. And that will cut out a lot of the dysfunction around. That will cut out a lot of it. We know what we do so often, Lori, but we do so often. Um, Because we know we're in a dysfunctional home, okay, like I was 19 when I got married to, uh, to Paul. He died, too. He died years ago, though. Too much alcohol, too much other things. And those are the type of people I would choose because I I, I never lie to anybody. Um, I'm an alcohol drug addict, all right? I just haven't had anything since 1981. No booze, okay? And um, that's a long time. I'm pretty proud of that. But the point is this. Yeah. So... Well, okay, my fingers were swelling and my kidneys were pounding. That helped. Isn't that right? <laughs> okay. Hey, whatever. Hey. You know you're there. <laughs> you know, okay. Well, Annie, you get it too, all right? If your kidneys are pounding and your fingers are swollen, you should start looking at your body and go, whoa, do I want to live or do I want to die, all right? And uh, at that point in my life, I didn't want to kill myself anymore, so I stopped that at the age of 17. Thank you very much. But... um the point is, a lot of times, we're in such situations that are horrible at home that um, if you find a guy who really likes you and he showers you with attention and compliments him, and, 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 oh, but too much so, and we don't know that because we never had it, okay? And, and a lot of times, kids get pregnant. They do. I mean, I was engaged with Paul when I got pregnant, and then Uncle Sam took him. And uh, he didn't go to Vietnam. He went to uh, Korea, of all places, but he didn't see any action there. Not that I know of. A little by the DMZ zone, but nothing that, you know to write home about, actually. And um, he was a radio man. He did very good. And honestly, I don't think he wanted to come home. He found something that he was really good at. Uh, he was an excellent uh, soldier. He got all kinds of awards. And he wouldn't even show that stuff when he came home because it meant nothing to him, okay? And um, But he came home a different person. No, he didn't. You see, we got married nine months, nine months after we started going out. Now, you said something, and then I'm, and then I'm going to go to Annie, and it's, it's exactly right. You have to get to know a person before you get into the marriage scene, Okay. Um, yes, people can fall in love with each other real quick. It's true. They can. I mean, you know, it does happen. But that doesn't mean you go and get married right away just to get yourself out of home. I get it. I came from a rotten house with a lot of rotten things happening. But to jump from one place to another place, which so many of us do, doesn't mean that your life is going to improve if we don't really look at the person's background, like you said, where they came from. Now, in my case, it was a little bit different because I, I saved God. If you walked into Paul's house, mother's in the kitchen making dinner, father's in a chair um, with the pipe in his mouth, and he's reading the newspaper. Older sister is, uh, has a child and is playing Ring Around the Rosie. Well, you think he walked in to leave it to Bieber. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? What are those houses? The, the, the ones that we grew up with, those, those stories, and all this, the sitcoms, whatever. And um, I couldn't see anything bad. They They hit it. They hit it. They hit it so well, Lori, that when I was working at Greystone as a psychiatric technician, with the right with the psychiatrist, they sent me down to get some information on someone under I can't say names, but under the B, okay. Um, so I'm looking things up, and what do I do? I see my father-in-law's name there. Holy crap! He'd been there, <laughs> all right. Well, I didn't know that. Well, his son was just as crazy as he was. I didn't know that because they're able to put this facade, you know, this, this type of behavior. In other words, they knew how to behave. It's just that they didn't want to behave that way. It probably They probably couldn't wait for me to go home so they could go back to their normal lifestyle, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah, sometimes you, things. Yeah. Well, I didn't have any gut instincts because I went from one situation into another situation without realizing I was entering that situation, the same one. Now, Annie, I, I don't know what happened with you there. Um, it was like arranged and all this other stuff. So that's a, a, yours is totally different. But you didn't have um, – did you have any feelings about your husband maybe not being quite normal or controlling or whatever when, when you went into your marriage? Well, he was just like my mom. <laughs> you know, I was used to it. But um, I did not marry him until much later. I was mm-hmm. pregnant at 17, mm-hmm. and it, it was not consensual. It was not consensual. I had told him no many times, no, no, no. And he did it anyway, and then I got pregnant. That was it. One time pregnant. And... I I refused to marry him, and so I said I'm going to give this child up to adoption. So I mm-hmm. I had the child, gave it up to adoption, and you know went my own way. But unfortunately, I couldn't do it emotionally. I could not let go of that child. So I went back and got him. They gave him back to me. So there I was, 18 years old raising a baby, and I wasn't with the guy. I didn't get together with the guy until many years later, I think like seven years later. Um, So I was a single parent. And the only reason I got back with him was because I had dated in the meantime and discovered that men aren't interested in women with young children. You know, and I, I couldn't find... I mean, I was looking for a man to marry, but I couldn't find one. And so I said, well, he's the father, so I let him come and live with me, basically, is what happened. And uh, it wasn't good. 20 years. I'm sorry. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. The, the stuff about controlling and chasing my friends away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, our story, there's three of us here, 
and we have many NASCA people. I'm sure that if we had a whole bunch of people together, they could identify with a whole lot of what's being spoken about right here because we don't know the red flags. We don't know what to look for. We don't know that sometimes when people are being over kind, okay, over this, over that, oh, oh my God, there's a reason for that. I have several men that are following me like crazy on um, on Facebook. Oh, I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. Get out of here. I don't know these people. You have to watch out for that, too, you know, right on Facebook. You know, don't think because people are giving you so many compliments, you know, the person of the opposite sex, you mean, um, that um, that they're going to be wonderful because you never know. You don't know what you're getting into. Now, I don't think I'm being too, um, well, what's the word? I, I, I think I'm just being careful. I think it's all right to be, and I think we have to be careful, especially we who are uh, survivors, because we are like bait, okay, B-A-I-T, bait, to um, people like that out there that, that treat uh, their women awful, their spouse awful. We're bait. Because somehow it's like they they know us, like a pedophile knows a child, you know, who walks with their head down, they're they're facing the ground, they don't make eye contact. Um, They know that this kid probably comes from a bad background. Um, I think, was it Lori? I I think you said something about checking backgrounds of people. Okay. they don't realize, you know, a child doesn't realize, you know, that all of a sudden if, if someone's giving them too much attention and all this other stuff, they're craving for that attention. And then that's how kids many times disappear. They can disappear that way too, okay? And um, remember, pedophiles go where children go. Well, these monsters that we marry, that we must walk around with something on our head that says abuse us or something. I don't know what it is. But we seem to attract many times um, abusive people, and, and we don't we don't recognize that. We don't see it. The only time I had a gut instinct, um, this guy was uh, working for my stepfather in the greenhouses on on glass. We'd had a terrible storm. And uh, glass was flying everywhere because in those days, greenhouses were made out of glass, okay? and <laughs> But anyway, um, I was 17. hadn't quite met Paul yet. I was 17 years old, and um, this guy had the hearts for me, I could tell. He was 24. Now, no one said anything about the age difference. So my stepfather, he said, yeah, yeah, go out with him. He was Danish. He had an accent. He said, yeah, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Well, I don't know if he's a nice guy or not. But this guy said to me, now make sure you get dressed up really nice, you know, high heels, you know, put a dress on. Well, I was working part-time at that point, so I was able to get some decent clothes, thank you very much, without stealing them. And um, (laughs) me who came from the millionaire's family, anyway, so all right, whatever. So he showed up, and he wasn't dressed nicely at all. And I thought, he wants me to have this pretty dress on, high heels, and and uh, my hair was very long at the time. They used to call him the peroxide pirate. He was very blonde, 
And uh, and we did that with peroxide bottling. You know, we, we just dumped the bottle of peroxide on my head, <laughs> and it went white. So one of my friends ran out quickly and, and got um, dye, and we put that on. I was blonde for many years, many, many years. So um, anyway, the point is I look good, you know, and we went out, and I started getting a funny feeling about this guy. I'm looking at him. He's not dressed nicely. In the back seat of his car, there's hammers, there's saws, um, all kinds of, um, you know, tools and stuff. And I thought, well, he was working with my stepfather, putting glass in, you know, maybe that's what he needs to do his job. And I noticed that he wasn't talking. My gut is telling me there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Now, this is going to be a cold case. It is a cold case. You guys know what cold cases are. All right. We end up in the town of Donellan, and this is in New Jersey. All right. And he takes me into a bar. I'm 17 years old, and the people knew him, and they didn't even ask me, you know, didn't card me or anything because I was with him, I guess. And um, he was drinking like a maniac, drinking like a maniac. And he was doing boilermakers. So he was drinking shots and drinking beer, drinking shots and drinking beer. And I'm thinking, holy crap, we were supposed to go out to dinner. This is not dinner, honey, all right? (laughs) So I'm sitting there eating beer nuts, and um, I only had half of my drink, me who loves at that time to drink. Something wasn't right, but I didn't know what it was. So I said to him, listen, let's let's get out of here. Let's go and, and get a nice meal somewhere. Maybe you'll feel better. And he's not talking to me. He said, well, I feel okay right now. That's the only thing he said to me. I want to find my uncle. I want to find my uncle. I'm thinking, what kind of date is this? See, I had these things, all right, that don't make sense. So we get back out to the car. We're driving around and around and around and around and around. He can't find his uncle, doesn't see his car. and all that. I'm thinking, so what? Why does he have to see his uncle now? We're supposed to be on a date, right? Does this make sense to you? Either well, of you I'm, too? I'm no. curious. I'm curious to this story. Yeah, you bet. So, okay, it's not a good one. So, all right. All of a sudden, we go to the uncle's house. We're leaving the town of Donellan. We're leaving the town of Donellan. Now, I can't say names other than Donellan. We're leaving the town of Donellan, and um, my God, uh, I thought, I don't even see how he can drive with all he was drinking, but he, he did. He was driving okay. I said to him, I want to go home. He said, no. Holy crap, I'm in trouble. And I said, about five minutes went by. We're just going around and around in that part of Donnell. And I said, please take me home. No, you're not going home now. So all of a sudden, I got this terrible fear in me. And um, I didn't know what to do with this terrible fear. So I, I said, one last time, take me home. And his answer was, no. So we're leaving. There's nothing but woods up ahead. I don't know what it looks like today, but at that time there was wooded areas. So um, there's three houses left. 
And the woods are on both sides, okay, after these three houses. I thought, uh-oh, I know there's something bad here. I know there's something bad here. Now, this is the gut talk. Why didn't I listen in the beginning, okay? Because I couldn't believe that there could be something wrong, okay? You didn't have the experience to know that at that point. No, I didn't. Well, I was so used to crazy people, too, all right? So anyway, I put my my strap up over my arm, you know, for my purse. I looked at the uh, speedometer. I I couldn't quite tell how fast he was going. So I'm I'm waiting for a bend in the road and praying to God that those houses don't disappear too fast. And sure enough, a bend came up, and I opened up my car door, and I jumped for my life. Now... My left knee to this day, two two things, a motorcycle I fell off of, okay, that was okay. I mean, it's not okay, <laughs> but that was, that's not part of the story. But the other part was me banging my knee first on the pavement as I was rolling, 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 rolling. So that's where we're going pretty fast, all right? So anyway, um, I managed to get myself up. My heels were broken. Um, my clothing was torn. And um, so I guess we were going pretty fast. So I went to house number one of the three, and this I, this lady says, what do you want? And I was banging on her door, right? I said, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. I'm crying, I'm screaming, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. Help me, please, please. She slams the window down. House number two. The lady was a little bit nicer. They were cookie-cutter type houses. They were the same. And uh, so the second house, the lady said, I can't help you, honey. I'm sorry. I can't help you. Well, he's down the road, okay, around this bend, and he's watching, and he's starting to back up. He sees nobody's going to let me into their home, right? No one's going to help me. So I looked down on the ground. I found a rock, and I thought to myself, I'm going to take this rock, and if this person in the third house doesn't help me, I'll smash their window. I'll smash their living room window. That'll make them call the cops, huh? So I managed to get across the street. I could barely walk. My knee was really in bad shape. To this day, I have to go and have it drained, and it needs to be drained right now. But I went, and I was banging on the door. I'm not not using the rock yet. I feel I'll smash the window if I have to. And um, all of a sudden, the door opens up, and there is a nurse. A nurse. She was like an angel, okay? She takes one look at me, and she goes, oh, my God. She said, first of all, put the rock down. (laughs) So I put the rock down, and she let me in. And her mother came running down the steps. I don't think that lady would let me in. So anyway, they take one look at me, and the nurse helps me into the kitchen, and she puts ice all over my, my knee and my leg and everything else as a mess. They called my mother, my stepfather, and they said, you know, where they lived and so forth. And uh, They didn't quite have all the story out of me yet. So they said, oh, okay, who are you with? I gave them the name. I can't say it on air. I gave them the name, and they screamed. Oh, my God. They were both wanted for murder. I said, what are you talking about? 
And they said that, uh, I don't know if it was a month before, something like that, a few weeks or a month before, a body had been found up in the woods where a lady had been strangled and raped. And they couldn't quite say that it was them. See, back in those days, they didn't have the same things that we have today with DNA and all that other stuff. No, not in the 60s. So um, I was with a murderer. <laughs> That's what I was. You are definitely seasoned. Oh, my God. So this is why I keep telling def- you have so much wisdom because you've well, been through so much. I have been through an awful lot. But a lot of us have been. But you see, I'm talking about the gut feeling there. Now, if we don't listen to our gut, this is what I'm trying to get across here. I see that uh, David Finch is here. I guess he's listening. Hi, sure. David. Yeah. So anyway, okay. Good evening. I'm, good evening. How are you? Oh, not too bad. It's good morning here, but yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, all right. Night, but. Well, I'm glad that you called the show. I'm in the middle of telling this story about the gut feeling. Yes. Um, if we don't listen to our gut feeling, there's a reason why we have that gut feeling about people, all right, or a person or a marriage or whatever it is you're into. Um, it's trying to warn us. We know there's something's not quite right, but it, and yet we can't quite put our finger on it. Now, someone who came from maybe, uh, I'm just saying maybe, a, a stable background where they were taught boundaries, they were taught not to lie, okay? I just read something yesterday that said everyone lies at least twice a day. I don't believe that. I think that's, that's a fallacy. I don't think that's quite right. But um, the point is, if we listen to our gut feeling, um, it can maybe help us at times not get into some of the messes that we allow ourselves to get into. You see what I'm saying? You're absolutely right. This is what happened. You are. I I almost died. If he had found his uncle that he was trying so hard to find, okay, I believe I would have been body number two up in those woods. Now, that's a cold case, right? People who are interested in cold cases and and those also, too, that work with cold cases, I I never saw him again. When he saw that house number three was going to let me in and help me, uh, he took off like a bat out of hell, and I'm sure he's in hell today, okay? I, I, this is one person I'd want to be in hell because he and his uncle were a team. And I never followed up on I was only 17 years old. I never looked into it, and I can't say the name on air because if the person uh, is innocent, if they were innocent, uh, and you're innocent until proven guilty, then you can't say the person's name on air. You can't do that. It wasn't something that hit the newspapers. In those days, there were still newspapers, right? Um, it wasn't a case like that. But that's my experience, 
and I wanted to share that with you because these gut feelings that I'm speaking about tonight in adult relationships, and it also says here any unresolved trauma from childhood can result in PTSD, and they've come to that conclusion today, finally, in the DSM-5, and that 5 is very important. Um, You know, people can be suicidal. They can be reckless behavior, other forms of self-harm. They may get into drugs and alcohol. We all know that I certainly did. Um, They can also, um, you know, with any of their unresolved childhood traumas, they can have all different kinds of, of problems in life. And that is a part of the PTSD. And those kids who were repetitively abused as a child are the ones that have the hardest time healing. And we found out that most of the time the abuse comes from within the family. When kids are acting out on the street, many times the problem is in that it's at home. Um, maybe there's too much violence. Um, this is all the kids grow up with. I grew up with violence. I had guns all over the house, man. They were everywhere. And yet not one person in that household picked up a gun when they fought because, you see, the gun uh, was meant for shooting deer. <laughs> it wasn't meant for shooting people, all right? And like I said before, I think I've mentioned on the air one time, they did fistfights instead, so they left the guns alone. Remember, it's not the weapon. It's the person who's holding the weapon who pulls the trigger, okay? It's not the weapon. And if you take our guns away, then we're sitting ducks because, you see, the bad guys can always get guns. They know where to go. So I'm for, you know, allowing to be able to uh, protect myself. I believe in that, self-defense. All right. So the gut is almost like a self-defense mechanism. It almost works in the same way. Hey, Carol, stupid, this doesn't make sense, this doesn't make sense, that doesn't make sense, and look what happened. I jumped from my life, and I I ruined my, my knee. If it had been on the kneecap, I could have gotten an operation. Excuse me, but it was all around the kneecap. So it's all that crush injuries, as in the medical field, it's called the crush injuries. Um, That's why I can't have an operation. You can't heal that. You can drain it, um, and there's other things they can do today, but they can't operate like you can can get a, a new kneecap, all right? So I was very lucky. I was very lucky. Um, But, you know, listen to your gut instincts in a relationship. And for God's sake, don't jump from your home, which is awful, maybe, yes, uh, into another awful situation. Um, If your gut is telling you something, listen to your gut, because chances are, you know, the gut is right. David, what do you what do you think about gut instincts? Um, well, from my point of view, um, I wish that uh, hundreds of people had listened to it back in the '60s and '70s and uh, '80s. Um, mm-hmm. Just from my perspective, um, everybody knew something was wrong, but um, nobody actually acted on it. So, 
Yeah, I think it's getting better these days where people actually realize that they should follow their instincts, but not so much back then. I'm, I'm not. This is not a subject that I'm particularly um, apt at or have much knowledge about when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, trying to think what you're saying is what you're saying is accurate. Very, very accurate, because the reason why it's accurate is back in the 60s and and even in the 70s, um, people like down the street, if they knew a kid, uh, they had a gut instinct that a kid was being abused, all right? Now, today, we know what to look for. You know, like if if a child is uh, wearing heavy-duty clothing in 90-degree weather, and um, maybe they're covering bruises, Okay, because they're being smacked around too much at home. They shouldn't be smacked at all, all right? Um, there's other ways of disciplining children. You don't have to smack them. But it, it, they have maybe bruising. Or maybe children who have been sexually abused, um, they're itching down there or, or they're, they're walking funny. We know what to look for today. But as far as the gut instinct of other people, um, today we're trying to bring forth awareness so that if other people, you know, see something, they say something, for God's sake. Call the cops. And, and the police, they have a certain amount, what they can, you know, with, they can help with, and then they bring in social services. That's what they do. A lot of times now they're trying to make all states have, you know, like a therapist or a counselor, um, you know, with them at the scene of a possible crime where there's domestic violence. And that's a, that's a very dangerous thing because those people could, you know, have weapons and they might be nuts with that weapon. Not like with a, the weapons meant for deer, but they'll just play and use it just to shoot someone if they get in their way, whatever. You have to watch out for people like that. But, yeah, back then they kept their mouths shut. They would turn and look the other way. Like, if you go into a store today and you see a kid getting smacked in the head, it seems like they love to smack kids in the head. They shouldn't do this. Um, there's always security many times in stores. Or if there isn't security, there's at least people upstairs, as I say, because there are usually as many times upstairs like in shop, right? And I don't know what food stores you guys have out by you. But uh, there's people working upstairs. For God's sake, go and talk to them, tell them what you see, and they'll take they'll take it from there. That takes the you've done your job, you told that there's a problem, and then you leave it. Okay, that way you're not really getting involved. You don't have to worry about retaliation. The people who are smacking their kid in the head and the face or whatever they're doing to them won't suspect you because most of the time, like I said, there's security there, and if there isn't, then they'll call the cops. And let them go to them, okay? So there's no reason not to try and help a child today. There just simply isn't. So, you know, I, I remember walking around as a child because I came from such a horrible background, filthy. I wasn't allowed to bathe except for once a week. And believe me, I was made fun of in school. I learned how to fight at a very early age. Oh, yes. I even broke some noses. <laughs> I did. Well, you mess with me, then I'm going to mess back. See, I, I have a, a little bit of a streak in me that I believe in self-defense, like I said, okay, even back then. So, I mean, the nurse thought 
she saw that I wasn't being cared for properly. And she told on my mother. I had some uh, fancy words to say to her. And uh, so forth and so on. Now, that's unusual because back then, not even nurses or doctors or anybody, okay, would say, they just turn and look the other way, and they don't have to be professionals, people down the street. They wouldn't listen, they wouldn't look, and they wouldn't help. So I go along with what you're saying, especially in the 60s. Um, A lot in the 70s the same way. In the 80s, people were starting to listen a little bit. Um, In the 90s, a little bit more. It's a very slow process, isn't it? Here it is, 2023, and we're still bringing forth awareness of child abuse to people. It's 2023. There's no excuse for it. And now, David, in some states, okay, um, I just want you to know that, uh, and it's it's turning into a, a bigger thing with these states, one state after another state after another state after another state. Everyone can report. You don't have to be just a mandated reporter, okay? So that's a big step right there. That's good. And then all yeah, the two. The state of, Go ahead. In the state of Rhode Island, yeah. if you witness abuse, you are mandatorily, everyone is a mandatory, mandatory reporter. In the right. state of Rhode Island, by law, if you see child abuse, it doesn't matter who you are, you must make the phone call. And you can be that's held right. liable for not doing it. Good. And that's the way it should be everywhere. And it's getting that way. I had read not too long ago, like there's only um, maybe about 10 states that are lagging behind in that. Okay, they're still it's still on the table, if you will. But because of the pressure of the other states, they don't want to look bad. So, therefore, they're going to, I think maybe it got down to three. I had that information in front of me. I think it, no, it's three, only three states now where they're, they're uh, still lax with that. So, you see, that's one way of fighting child abuse because um, if if communities get involved and they know, you know, that a child is being beaten, say, or whatever, any of the abuses that I read about, physical, mental, emotional, sexual, and neglect, whatever, um, and people start reporting like they're supposed to, then uh, then maybe help can get into the house much more quickly, you know, for that kid or those children. So that's a step in the right direction. It's taken years, though, for it to get to that. I mean, you started talking about the 60s, and you're right. There, was, there were people who just turned and walked the other way. They didn't, want, they didn't want to get involved. And then in the urban areas, too, you know, um, they were afraid of retaliation. They, you know, if they say something, they're going to get, you know, themselves in trouble one way or another. So they would keep their their mouth shut. They wouldn't say anything. But now with this new law, and it it seems to be a law that's going across the whole country, okay, and this is fine, this is wonderful, it should have happened years ago. I agree with you. Um, Now, you know, people know that they can get in trouble, they they can get fined, or God forbid, if the kid gets, you know, gets killed, if the child dies, um, they can be held just as much accountable, just about, as the person who actually did it. 
And that's what we need. We need that for child abuse in all different aspects. Okay, all different aspects. If the laws were tougher. Yeah. If yeah. the laws were tougher, if the, if, if the states would um, lift the statute of limitations on child abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my home state, currently, it, uh, if, you, if charges are not pressed in the first three years after you've been taken out of the house, now some kids are too afraid to talk about it for years. Mm-hmm. That's right. And um, the statute of limitation expires, and these people will never face justice. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. My sister and I are, are working. Um, I live in Australia. But my mm-hmm. sister and I are working with the Rhode Island legislatures trying to get uh, uh, the statute of limitations removed from child abuse. They removed it for child sexual abuse in 2019, but they did not. Physical abuse has never been removed. It's still three years, which is um, ludicrous. I was going to use another yeah. word, but ludicrous works better. Well, you're right, because, you know, any one of the abuses that I, that I read about before, whether it's physical, right, sexual, emotional, um, or uh, neglect, okay, whatever it is, that abuse, that breaks the child's spirit. I wrote that on Facebook the other day because it's true. That that breaks the child's spirit. And so one abuse is not really more severe than another abuse. If it's a repetitive type of, of, type of uh, behavior, from the offender, then that really destroys a child, and uh, it takes much longer for that child to heal. And, and if the abuse is coming in the family, from the family, inside the family unit right there, um, it takes harder. It's much harder for a child to, uh, you know, get over that as well. I don't think you ever get over it, but to heal from it so you can move on, so you can live your life the way you're supposed to. You never forget those things, David. You know that. We all know that, okay? Whatever happened to us, whatever happened to us happened. And, um, but we, we look at it not in a different light, but we look at it in the sense where we know we have to live our lives, not let it define, you know, who we are today. Otherwise, we don't move on. We stay stuck, like I spoke about earlier. So, Lori, what do you think about all of this? I'm taking it in because it's good information. Um, and believe it or not, today I was, of course, three from she's a teacher. The husband's mm-hmm. the engineer. On the other side, there's a nurse. On the other side, psychiatric nurse. And a house away is a family that sells drugs. And the yep. kid has broken into... Some of the houses here for food because they lock them out when they do their thing, and then mm-hmm. they were very little. And this is modern time, you know. How could they be, especially in the field? How do you not report something like that? What they did was said, uh, if you're hungry, you can come to my house. I'll give you food, and that's how they worked it out. But Somebody should have been called to go into that home and save that kid because I met that kid four months ago when we moved in, and he has problems. He needed to be saved, and they didn't save him. So I look at him, and I know he's going to have one of those very, very difficult paths to to go down. 
You know, I don't see any kind of light yet that went on in him. That's what it does to kids with, with all this that goes on. That's They can carry that until they're ready to, you know, either let it go, if you can. I was tempted to test the theory because, believe it or not, my mother's still alive. And someone from that side of the family got in touch with my husband, and I said, Gee, I wonder what she would say if she ever heard my voice again. <laughs> I hadn't talked to her for over 60 years. Over 60 years. I, I think it travels with you in some way, shape, or form, you know, throughout your life. It's just, just where you compartmentalize it as you go through life. You know, that's what changes. But you got to get out and start healing. I mean, that's what healing is about. So anybody who does recognize us, the earlier they see it, they really should be reporting it. And that's why that law is going to go across the whole country. And there's going to be even more laws to specifically say what they can do. You don't have handouts. You don't have organizations forming in the communities, you know, because this is what we need in this, this time. It's not a safe world. So this is what you do next. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's like um, at one point, I well, you know this, that I worked in detention. And um, our kids, they committed adult crimes. And we had police officers there. And we were officers of the court. That's what we were. And um, these kids, okay, you look into their home lives. You look into their home lives. Don't always think, all right, if a kid is out acting out on the street, whether they're looting or, or whether they're, um, you know, physical violence is going on or whatever it is. Okay, the kid's got to be stopped. You bet. The kid has to be stopped. But you have to look into the family structure. That's what needs to be looked into. And, yes, the kid needs help, all right, and the whole family. Now, tomorrow night we're going to have on uh, Winona's house. And Winona's house is an organization from Newark, New Jersey, I know quite a few different organizations, and this is a wonderful organization because, you see, they look into the family. They work with the family. And if a kid or if the children, all right, um, can be salvaged and the family unit can be salvaged as one unit, stay in the family, um, they have all kinds of therapists who work with them on a daily basis or however which way we'll find out more tomorrow how often they see, you know, the family unit. But the point is they try to keep the family together if if it's a, a good idea for the children. If it isn't, then they have to go with the system, and if they end up in foster care, that's a shame, but maybe they'll have a better life. You never know. It's always a, a toss of the coin, okay? You don't know what's going to happen. But um, they're a wonderful organization, and they'll be on tomorrow night. So that's something that we were talking about, you know, the family unit. Um, look inside of the family, see, you know, what the family is doing. And, um, David, when I was working in detention, I moved and I started working detox, and then I worked in uh, psychiatric facilities and, and all this other stuff. But the last place that we moved to, I thought, well, let me go to this detention center and see if I want to work there. Now, I'm not, I wasn't 22 then, all right? <laughs> but I still wanted to work, okay? I wanted to work. I changed my mind at the last minute. We'll come to find out that that man who was running that 
uh, organization. He was a big part of it. Um, he was taking kids out at nighttime, and he was sexually abusing them, the boys, one at a time. And when they grew up, when they grew up, one by one, they started to tell on this individual who is now deceased, but I still don't want to say his name. Um, it, but he's deceased. And uh, he was 84, 84, David. So he had been doing all this stuff at this detention center for many, many years. And, and like you were saying, kids don't always talk right away. They, many times people don't speak about their abuse until they're in their 40s or maybe even 50, some in their 30s. Now, me, I have a big mouth. I told one I was seven and a half, <laughs> all right? That doesn't happen very often, okay? It didn't do me much good, to be honest with you. But I did tell, and that's what we have to teach our children is that if you're being abused by anyone and tell them what abuse is and, and why it's not right and, and boundaries, all these things, that's why it's so, so, so important to learn how to speak to your children. Again, the website, naasca.org, go over to the right-hand side of those red blocks and click open, and prevention, under prevention, all kinds of information, including how to speak to your children about the good, the bad, and the ugly, okay? Important. So this guy, getting back to this guy who was the abuser, okay, um, he was 84 years old. I had no sympathy for him. I was picketing. I was, I was with people. And I had actually been asked to do this. I went to the courthouse by some survivors, and I went to the courthouse with a friend of mine, and I saw him being wheeled into the courthouse in a wheelchair, and I didn't care. I found out the history of this guy, and I didn't like it, all right? So we were, were, you know, we weren't making a ruckus of any kind too bad. I mean, we were a little noisy, but nothing bad, and it was 94 degrees out. We were drinking bottles of water. And the people were all going around asking us, what are you, what's this all about? We told them. And uh, because there were a lot of, it drew a lot of attention. And so what they did was they decided, okay, well, so-and-so, we'll take him to the next county and have him tried there. Well, the son of a gun died before his due date of the next trial. So he never spent a day in jail. For many, many, many decades of sexually abusing little boys in detention. So you speak about no justice. So sometimes, you know, things like this happen. But if we do our jobs and and we tell on these people and um, no more being silent, You know, be someone's hero. Help a kid out. You see something, say something. Just do it. Do it. Do the right thing. Because I know what it's like to be on the receiving end, and everyone may be on this panel right here knows what it's like. And we have so many people a part of NASCA. They all know what it's like. And I wished that someone had been a hero when I was a kid, okay, as we all do probably on this panel. It's it's important. It's important. 
I, I just okay. wish to change some Go of ahead. the dialogue. Um, the, the, the words that people use, um, when you see something, report it. I just yeah. want to stop people. I want to I call myself stop using the word telling on people because mm-hmm. that sounds like you're doing something that's against public opinion or, but that's always, it's always got the, I'm running the mommy, I'm telling on you. Um, right, right, right. Basically, as an adult, if you see abuse, you should report it. I don't think it's telling on somebody. It's actually a, a it's a legal obligation and a, hum, a human obligation to report them. Not, not. It's just a word choice. I'm sorry if I'm being picky, but um, no, no, I get it. I get it. Them. I get it. Do the right thing, damn it. Okay, because that's what it is. Do the right thing. You know, help a child, whichever way you want to word it, okay? Help save a life, whatever. Um, Whichever way you want to word it, do the right thing because, quite frankly, kids need help. They do. And when you're in that situation, I know what it's like to stand in fear, frozen, not knowing what's going to happen next from watching domestic violence, blood flying, I told you fist fights. It wasn't had no guns, just fist fights. But still, the blood was flying. <laughs> no, but you know, and then um, being horribly sexually abused in the family, outside of the family, on and on it goes. And then you don't know how to pick. You don't know how to choose partners that that are normal. Well, what's normal? I never saw normal. Okay. I had to learn normal when I got a little bit older, quite a bit older, you know, in my 30s. When I was working at places, I started to um, realize, you know, hey, this is not right. I know to do background checks on the kid to see where they came from, but I started thinking truly about what does it do to a child when they go through the physical, the mental, the emotional, the sexual, and the neglect, all the bullying that happens with neglect. And all the things that kids go through, suicidal ideations, everything. I have a nice little scar on my wrist here. A lot of us do. You know, all these things that kids go through. And if people would step up and do the right thing, okay, then maybe, just maybe, it would help bring those stats down, maybe, okay. You come from a home that's bad, you're going to be treated a certain way. But at least if people, you know, realize that they're going to have to, there's going to be a lot of uh, trouble in in their life if they, you know, abuse children, maybe it'll help bring those stats down. I can't say with all certainty. But I can say it certainly would help children. We know that. Get that bad person out of their life. And if that means removing the child because maybe there's too much trouble in that house, then sometimes that has to happen. Yeah. So, anyway, this show is almost over. And, um, David, I want to thank you for calling in. What time is it where you're at right now? Um, It's 11.27 in the morning on Friday. Wow. Well, you know you can always call this show. (laughs) Wow. You can always call this show. I'm, I'm always here on Fridays. Lori's always here on Fridays. Many times Annie's here also. And, um... And we run the show. That's what we do. I come up with a topic or I have someone like uh, Winona's house coming on tomorrow. 
and um, it's always a good show. So I think we had a good show tonight, gals. What do you think? I think yes. Yeah. Well, there you go. And David, when did you? You know, I don't always look at the studio. I'm bad that way. If I sometimes I close my eyes, <laughs> I'm still talking. <laughs> you know, I don't know um, how long in, into the show we were you there before you came on before I got you on. I think it was probably an hour in. I was like, "Oop, it's on," and I I called it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know where we are. You know when to call in. I'm very glad that you called in. Um, uh, maybe someday you'll want to tell your story. That's up to you. I don't know. But um, we're always looking for I did. people. You did? I, uh, Have you I, been d- on I did. Uh, I did an interview on the nineteenth on the on the nineteenth of the show. On the nineteenth of this month, I did a, a a show. Oh, well, you see, we have so many hosts. I'm I'm a host, but I'm vice president, but I'm a host also. So I come on on every Friday, so I missed your show. Now I'm going to look it up and listen to it. Yes, I will, because we have the archives. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, it's, uh... um, hey, yeah, I've got the 90-second queue. So I just want to say thank you, everyone, for calling in. And for those of you that are there listening, I hope you learned things tonight. We try to run an educational show um, and, and try to help people. So I have to end the show now. David, thank you so much for calling in. And I'd love to talk to you another time, too. You know, call in on Fridays if you want, because I'm always here on Fridays, okay? You have a lot okay. to offer. All right, that's good. So that's my good. Saturday. My Saturday morning. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and thank you for that. Thank you so much. Bye now. Okay, bye-bye now. Good night. Okay, everyone, I have to close the show down. Thank you for, um, you know, being here. Have a good weekend and God bless. Good night. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.